Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, your life is a story. It has a beginning, a middle, and no end. And your story, the story of your life, is bound up in the story of your family, the story of the congregation, the story of your community, your world, and the story of God's people from the beginning of time to the end. Now, in mathematics, there is something, a field of mathematics called fractals. And fractals describe in the language of God, which is mathematics, the language which God uses to, to describe his glory and his design in the universe. Fractals describe the repeating patterns that you see in creation. And so there are formula which you can use to build beautiful, beautiful shapes, which are the same shape repeating and repeating in ever larger sizes. And you see that in creation, for instance, in, in ferns, as all those curls uh, work out into bigger and bigger patterns, or in, in, in a, some snowflakes, which have a fractal pattern. And it's the same way as it is in the physical world, it's the same way in history. There are certain patterns that happen in our lives which reflect greater patterns, larger patterns in the life of the community and in the, the life of God's people through the ages. What God does is he takes great cosmic truths and he reveals them to us by making them play out on a greatly reduced scale. He's teaching us. He uses small daily, weekly, and yearly patterns to point us to the big picture, to the history, the pattern of the history of the world. And you can see that as you read through the scriptures. The temple, for instance, was a picture of returning into the presence of God from which we were exiled when we were put out of the garden. Sinners were expelled from the garden. The cherubim stood at the gates, cutting off access to sinful man and woman. And so as God's people pilgrimaged to Jerusalem for the great feasts, as they went to be as close to God as possible on this earth, where he dwelt in the Holy of Holies, they couldn't get in because there was a veil. And the veil said, sinners must stay out. And the cherubim were embroidered on the veil. They are the guardians of God's holiness. And so for the people of Israel, every time they went up to the temple, seeking to be in God's presence, they were rehearsing what was a picture of the history of the world. That sinners have been cut off from God's presence. That sinners need God and that sinners need to come back to the Father. But for that to happen, sin has to be dealt with. And so they would go through the washings and through the sacrifice and through the shedding of blood and it was all a picture of what needed to happen for that veil to be ripped in two. And the children know when that happened. When the final sacrifice, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices happened on the cross, that veil was ripped from top to bottom. And we now have in the Lord Jesus Christ a new and living way. We have open access. Our deepest longing is fulfilled that I might dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that I might be at home with the Lord. That's the whole picture of the history of the universe. 
And that's the picture in weekly and yearly worship of God's people throughout the ages. And so you can see those Old Testament pilgrims, multitudes of multitudes gathering together in groups and going up to be as close to God as possible. And that's a picture of this world and its history as multitudes upon multitudes of sinners come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. They are gathered, defended and protected by his word and spirit. They're flocking together. They're walking together. They're being led out of the Egypt of sin. They're walking through the desert of a fallen world and they're walking towards that goal of coming home to the Father. So let's look at these verses now in, in that light. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Strength here in verse 5 is power or might or even refuge. This is a blessing for those who pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. For yours is the kingdom and yours is the power. And this is the total opposite of what the world teaches us. The world teaches us in the news and on TV, on the internet, and in all the movies, especially the kids' movies, the world teaches us that our strength is in us. The world says, blessed are those whose strength is deep inside them, who look deep inside themselves for inner resources, their inner strength to overcome whatever is in their way. And the scripture says, no, that's a lie. That is a damned lie. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Because the scripture says the opposite of what the world says. The scripture says, my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul responds, therefore I will boast because when I'm weak, I will boast in the Lord, because when I'm weak, then I am strong. My strength is in him. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Where are we safe? Where is the power, the strength, the might in which we can take refuge? Well, the psalmist says it's in Zion. And this evening as 2021 comes to an end, this is a good question to ask myself and for you to ask yourself, where is my heart? What is in my heart? What am I looking to? What am I longing for? What is on my mind? And perhaps there are some answers which are not good answers. Perhaps we are thinking in our heart, if I just had some more money, if I just had some more freedom, if I just had better health, if I just had more control of my circumstances, if only I could get other people to think and to act in a way which I approve. What is in your heart? The Lord Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so this evening, as we enter into a new year, the Lord calls us to put away our idols, to put away the gods of Egypt, 
and to leave all that behind and to strike out for the promised land. To be part of that glorious company which says to one another, how glad I was when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. My strength is in him. And in my heart are the highways to Zion. Now as we pilgrimage through this world with our strength in God and our hearts set on going home to be with him, Verse 6, we go through the valley of Barca, and they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. The valley of Barca can also be translated the valley of tears. It is a dry and arid place, a place where there is no life. You could call it the valley of the shadow of death. In the scriptures, desert and, and wilderness represent places far from God's presence. Where God is, there is life, there is joy, there is refreshment. The wilderness is far from God. It is where the demons and the evil spirits reside, as you read that in the Old and New Testament. And so that's what we go through to get home. We go through the valley of Barca. Because the way to glory is the way of the cross. Through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom of heaven. And now see what it says. Look at verse 6 there. As they go through the valley of Barca. They don't go there and get stuck. That's not where their pilgrimage ends. They go through it. Why? Because they are part of that blessed company whose strength is in God, and the highways to Zion are in their heart, and nothing will stop them. They don't get held up by trouble, by afflictions, or by setbacks. They do not stop. They do not long for the flesh pots of Egypt and turn around and go back, but they keep going, and they keep on keeping on going, and the big picture of their life that they're walking towards the new Jerusalem, the big picture of their life, the saints' lives, is reflected in the small rehearsal of that on the weekly worship of God's people. And so the saints, the blessed, are those of whom it can be said that nothing stops them from seeking to enter into God's presence to worship. It is... On their lips that we hear the cry of the psalmist of Psalm 42, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? You know, there are lots of pious excuses that we can come up with for failing to obey God's command to appear in his presence. Impiety can be cloaked in pious language. We can say, it's too dry. It's too arid. It's too hard. It's too dangerous. It's not wise. There are all kinds of reasons. And usually Sunday mornings when we're tired, the devil is just shooting all those reasons at us. But true faith says, I need God more than I need the air that I breathe. 
and where God makes himself present in this world and the world and the sacraments, there I will be as much as it depends on me and nothing will stop me. And so longing for God's presence marks the saints who are on pilgrimage along the highways to Zion, longing to be in God's presence. But it's important, brothers and sisters, that we understand that does, that does not mean that all we do as we go through life is sit with our head in the clouds thinking about eternal glory. Somebody once said that people like that are people that are so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. That's not what the Bible asks us to be. On the contrary, the hope of eternal life in God's presence changes the way we live in flesh and blood here in, the, in this world. It drives us to make this world a better place. It drives us to seek that our words and actions align with the gospel so that this world will be renewed, so that there is hope for dying sinners and for this dying world. And you, and you see that in the next part of the, the verse. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. They make it a place of springs. Water is life. And wherever God's children pass, they uncover the source of life. In every area of work and study, they make manifest the awesome beauty of God's creative power and providence. And they see the fingerprints of God and the order of the heavens, the fragility of the wildflowers, the beautiful design of the birds and the animals. And the saints see the hand of God in, in history and in our daily lives. The world just sees dry sand, an arid valley, and hopelessness. But believers perceive God in even the smallest things, so that even the smallest things can be moments and occasions for worship. We see God, and God is seen in us. There is no greater demonstration of the life-giving power of God than a man, a woman, or a child who lives a new life in the power of the Spirit. What did Jesus say to the woman at the well? He said, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so God's people drink they drink deeply from the wells of salvation. We drink in the refreshing and life-giving word, and that changes us. That transforms us so that by just existing, just by living, we bring life into a dry and a dead world. As we have hearts full of God's love, as we live lives filled with the power of the Spirit of Christ, as we have homes full of the abundant life which Jesus came to give us. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And Jesus lives in our hearts. And so every time we interact with anyone, they are in the presence of Christ himself. And we serve others with love, grace, and, and kindness of Christ. And when we do that, we are uncovering springs 
in the desert. Look back on the year past and ask yourself, what mark have I made in the world in this past year? Those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, what do they remember of me, of my words, my actions, my attitudes? Have we been uncovering the life-giving springs of God for this world? Have we been showing them the springs of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? It starts with those closest to us. It starts at home. Now, God doesn't tell Christians to build fancy sandcastles out of the dust of the Valley of Barca to impress people, just dry, impressive structures that have no life in them. That's a, a life of legalism. That's the kind of life which the devil encourages the saints to follow, where you look like a great Christian when you're not at home. But when you're at home, your mask comes off and your family knows the real you. Living a Christ-transformed life begins with those we treat right there in our home, our family, where no outsider can hear or see. Are our speech and our actions life-giving and refreshing? And as God works this in us, he also works this around us. And you see that in the next line of the psalm, the early rain also covers it with pools. Now, the early rain, you had in Israel the early rain and the later rain. The early rain is the autumn rains. After months of dry heat, the ground is all barren and, and dry and, and dusty. And those early rains were so important, they were vital to soften the ground for seeding so that the seeding could happen, the sowing could happen, and there could be a harvest. So it was a promise of life, a promise of future abundance. And wherever the church of God pilgrimages through this world, there are the springs of life. There people can draw water from the wells of salvation, and there where the church is, the Word of God falls down like gentle, refreshing rain. And they go, says verse 7, they go from strength to strength. Now, we had the, verse, we had the word strength in, in verse 5, right? Blessed are those whose strength is in you. This is a different word in the Hebrew. Back in verse 5, the, the word meant power. And here in verse 7, it means more specifically military power. And you think of Psalm 110. If you flip in your Bible to Psalm 110 for a moment, that great messianic psalm, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's Christ ascended, ruling over the universe, ruling over history. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Now look at verse 3 of Psalm 110. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power, in holy garments from the womb of the morning, the Jew of your youth will be yours. So you see the people of God arrayed like an army with the youth, with all their vigor, standing there ready to do battle for the king of kings, the warrior king, 
who rides forth conquering and to conquer, who will destroy all of his enemies with that sharp double-edged sword which comes out of his mouth, which is the word of God. And so that's the picture here in verse 7. It is a picture of a mighty army of God. This is not a straggling group of refugees kind of just limping along and crawling along. This is not a bunch of people at the end of their rope about to expire saying, God, we can't take it anymore. No. This is a victorious army. The greater the affliction, the greater the suffering, the greater the danger, the greater the opposition, the more God's people stand strong. And they laugh in the face of the storm. And they exult Though the mountains be removed from their place and cast into the depths of the sea, even if life itself is turned upside down, God is our refuge. God is our strength. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so the picture here is of strength to strength, troop after troop, gathered, defended, preserved by the power of God's word and spirit. They march together in victory. More than conquerors, they hold high the banner of the root of Jesse, God incarnate, Christ Jesus, the King of kings. And we hold it up as a signal for the nations. And the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds, and we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. From strength to strength, we advance into the coming kingdom of God. And each one appears before God in Zion. Now this is the end of the story of the world. And this is the beginning of that last chapter which will never end. We come home. The exodus from Egypt was a small rehearsal. The return from exile to the promised land was a small rehearsal. Every Sunday liturgy is a small rehearsal of that glorious cosmic truth that we are going home. That we will come back to where we belong. To be what we were made to be. And to do what we were made to do. And that is live in sweet, intimate communion with God. To know him. To love him. To worship him. And to enjoy him forever. Now, this last year, some of us were called on ahead. God called them home already to joy indescribable. Our brother Joe DeVries, our brother Sip Hofstede, our little brother Bowden Tolsma, and the little unborn children called from this life while still in the womb. And they have appeared before God in Zion. They have gone on ahead. And every day, 
Every step, we come closer to entering those celestial gates of the New Jerusalem and hearing the glorious choirs of billions of angels singing, Glory, glory, glory. Child of God, the time is short. He told us, he said, I am coming soon. Mount Zion, the new Jerusalem, is rushing towards us to meet us. The skies will be torn asunder. Heaven will invade earth. Sin and death will be banished. And the entire universe will once again be a holy temple, a holy habitation for God and his people to dwell together. The day is fast approaching when you will appear before God in Zion. Either he will call you from this life, and for most of us, that's in less than 80 years, for some of us a lot less, or he will bring Zion to you on the clouds of heaven. And then, then you will see him. The one who knows you by name. The one who has loved you from all eternity. The one who came to get you. The one who bled for you. Who suffered for you. Died for you. Then we will see him. And our faith will be made sight. And we will see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Come. Lord Jesus, Maranatha, amen.